0: Welcome to the Healthcare Business Secret Show, where we interview industry leaders and break down exactly how they're dominating their markets so you can learn from the best and can double your revenue, double your impact, and double your time off. In this episode, we're talking with Robert Sykes. Robert is a bodybuilder and CEO of Keto Savage and Keto Brick and created the brand Keto Savage to share with others his wisdom and experience with the ketogenic diet and the legacy he's trying to leave, which is believe in yourself, dig deep in your passion, and put in the work. You can become extraordinary. Welcome to the show, Robert. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I love that that legacy you're trying to create. Give us some background on you and what you do and what you're up to these days and how you kind of fell into this space.
1: Yeah, so I'm a natural bodybuilder by trade, I guess. I've been bodybuilding for the past 12, 13 years of my life. Followed a traditional protocol, you know, the bro dieting approach to eating six, seven meals a day, high carbohydrates. And that kind of left me, I was able to, you know, get really lean with that protocol, but it wasn't really sustainable. It wasn't fulfilling. And it left me with a bunch of eating disorders and it just wasn't healthy. I was able to, you know, get it really shredded, but I was blowing up in weight in the off season and it just wasn't a healthy protocol all in all. So I started diving into the ketogenic approach kind of by happenstance. And I really started to see success with that. Dove deeper into that, learned a lot at the time. There wasn't really any influencers or you know speakers in that demographic. Uh, so I kind of just blazed my own trail, so to speak, from a bodybuilding perspective. But it worked, and it worked really well. I was able to get my natural pro card. And then I just started kind of making a name for myself as a ketogenic bodybuilder. So I started coaching clients and grew into that space. And then in the process of competing myself, I was trying to build a, a nutritional protocol, a meal replacement bar that allowed me to hit my macro targets and just took the guesswork out of meal prep. And I kind of by accident developed what I call the keto brick, never planned on making it into a food product, but it became a food product. People saw it on a YouTube video, took interest in it. So my wife and I go from the time, just decided to dive into the world of owning a physical product business, and lo and behold, that thing became very, very successful uh, and grew in popularity. And that's pretty much what I do now. I've got several employees, and um, we tour the country with different conferences speaking about keto, but also uh, having booth set up with the product and just showcasing that. And uh, loving every minute of it, man. The the ketogenic diet and business as a as a whole has totally transformed my life, and I'm just excited to share and encourage other people to to dig deep into their passions, figure out what those passions are and then create a lifestyle around it.
0: I love it. And and, and whenever I talk to people who are successful, there's a lot of passion behind what they do uh, and there's a lot of fulfillment and a lot of growth. And sometimes we get it wrong. We think success has to come and then we'll get those things. When in reality success comes because we have those things, right? You have that passion, you have that drive, you're wanting to share, you're focusing on your customer, you're focusing on solving problems and you're getting fulfillment from that. And that creates the success. And, we need to be super aware of that is because if we just put all our eggs on in the basket of well like i gotta get success i gotta get success you get burnt out and you lose it and then you don't get success and then it reinforces for you that it's hard or it's impossible or you got to know some tricks the trade and it's and it's who you know as everyone says but in reality those of us who get there get there because we have that passion and drive and it becomes a snowball like if you notice that as you started doing it you got fulfilled and you're like i love this thing and i'm feeling good about it and then as you Start to achieve some success and help some more people and you grow more, it just kind of compounds on itself. Cause I definitely noticed that myself. Oh, hundred um, percent When yeah, I when like I first got into filling. the business, I had so many failed business
1: attempts before keto. Like I I had tried everything, I had tried making, you know, drop ship companies and nothing stuck because there was no passion there, it was just chasing a dollar. And because that there was no passion there, I couldn't sustain, I couldn't, I couldn't jump through the hoops necessary. I couldn't dig deep enough to make it work mm-hmm. with the keto savage brand, with the keto brick band. It was never even designed to really even be a business. It was just something that I loved to do, and that passion showed through in all the content that I created. And people started, you know, falling in love with with the journey that I was building for myself, and that became my loyal customer base that I built from. So yeah, having that passion and and showcasing that journey, like I, I've always been vehemently opposed to the fake it till you make it belief. You know, document the journey. Like my first podcasts were filmed and recorded in a closet with a beach towel as backdrop. I mean, you have to document that
0: those rudimentary phases because that's part of the story. 100%. And, and the story is what people connect with. There's a reason why people buy Apple or any other brand. Once you're Apple, you're Apple all the way. Like It's rare to be halfway. And it's because you buy mm-hmm. into the story. And if you're not, you know why you're not Apple, most of us, because there's mm-hmm. this polarization that happens. And I think that people forget that being vanilla and trying to be perceived as good, but not polarizing is a killer of business. It's also a killer of your soul because it's not genuine to you and it's hard to maintain. The clients that I deal with both in my practice, but also in my coaching business who struggle and get tired with what they do, it's because it's not authentic. And so you said it right. A lot of us get into this online space and we think, oh, we're going to do drop shipping and Amazon. We can do these things and make money online and blah, blah, blah. Because we're looking at making money online because we think that's the dream. In reality, the dream is having passion every day and waking up and wanting to get in and, and work. And, you know, loving the weekend, but waiting for Monday so you can get started again. That's me. I love spending time with my family, but I'm like, can't wait for Monday because then I can get back into my hole and just keep digging because I absolutely love it. And ironically, that's what creates the success, right? Like your ability to just push and do it no matter what is why you then end up getting there. Like there's no one who's successful at a high level who isn't absolutely manically obsessed with what they do and driven beyond belief. Jeff Bezos does it not for money. He's got enough forever and his entire, like the next 10 generations, but he does it because he's passionate about what he's developing. That's why he's doing it. Everyone else tries to be rich and they don't get there. And those of us who are doing it because we're passionate, ironically get there, but then everyone else looks at it and thinks that it's rich. It's the richness, that's why we're happy, it's the richness, that's why our health is good and why our mindset's good and why our relationships are good and why our business is good because we have money. When in reality, we do the things that allow us to get there. I've noticed that myself, man, like just exercising has changed how I feel and my output. It's not because I have time, I flip and make the time. So in terms of what you're doing, uh, and where you're at now, like where does most of your time go? Is most of your time into the product development side of things, the coaching side of things? Uh, so I try to do a lot more uh, big picture stuff. I've got
1: employees now that do, I mean, initially, like with the physical part, for instance, you know, I, I would spend, it was just me and my my girlfriend at the time. We would we would stay up all night making product. We'd drive, we would store the product at our, you know, little bit of the apartment building. We, I mean, our apartment was a warehouse basically, what we turned it into, but it was all done in-house by us as it grew, I was able to bring on employees, initially my cousins and family members. And then from there we were able to grow and hire employees. Um, and now we've got it all set up and it's it's all structurally sound. So I'm able to outsource most of the the physical product development creation to my employees. And then I'm able to focus more on the the big picture strategy, mm-hmm. which I which I have the passion for. I mean I love to go out there in the warehouse and, and you know take the trash out I of mean, the simple little things that I remember doing in the very beginning because I feel like that keeps me grounded. But mm. from, from my standpoint, most of my time has been interacting, networking with other movers and shakers in the space and in doing more big picture strategy moves within the company.
0: Yeah. Because you can't get to the next level without people. And I learned that early on is that you can go fast by yourself, but you can't go far because eventually you get to a capacity standpoint. And I see that in people's practices a lot in their health businesses where they're the ones seeing all the clients, they're handling mm-hmm. the books, they're doing everything. And it, ironically starts to limit them. And so as an example, let's say you don't have a front desk person and you're doing the payments and it takes you five extra minutes to deal with clients to do payments and you see four people an hour. Well, that extra five minutes has meant that you could have seen another client and helped another person or made a bit more money. Or I use that time to work on something else that could expand you further. And so that's this kind of accelerated break and where people experience the roller coaster in business, I think, is where they're going up but they're not anticipating that there will be a down. Mm -hmm. And so therefore building the structures that allow you to keep going up. The companies that are going up consistently are the ones that are preparing for downs as they get on the up. They're not just writing it up and then forgetting about everything because then it's like, for example, I'm doing marketing, I'm getting clients. I'm now fully booked. I'm going up. I now don't have time to do any marketing. The clients go through their processes. Now they're less frequent. I have less clients. Now I start going down. I go, oh crap, I don't have any clients. So then I hustle and I try and get more clients. And then I go up and then I forget. If you want to have consistency, just like you're doing, right? It's I'm going up and I'm knowing that I'm going to hit a capacity point. I'm going to have to stop doing the marketing stuff. So I'm going to get things in place that allow me to keep going up. And that's where people miss it. What was your first problem you solved with people that allowed you to go to the next level? Within the physical product space, we just we hired
1: people to do all the manufacturing. So I no longer do any of the manufacturing whatsoever. And that was a huge time sink for me. So that freed me up to do more of the strategic work. Another really big hire was I hired an, an admin person that, that does she wears many more hats than just administrative work. She she edits videos, she edits the podcast, publishes the podcast episodes. She does all the email correspondence, all the the shipping and receiving. So all the administrative computer work uh, and a lot of the content creation and publishing. So that allows me to do more of the the content creation that only I can do as the face of the company. But simply letting her do the editing and the the publishing saves so much time and I can just focus on putting out higher quality content. And for me, in my line of work, the content itself is basically the marketing. So the higher quality content that I can put out and put more effort towards that content, it, it pretty much takes my marketing capabilities to the next level.
0: Yeah, of course, it creates more leverage, right? You're able mm-hmm. to do more of the stuff that only you can do saving you the energy to put into that rather than constant editing things. People often think I'm going to save money. It's going to be easier. If I just do it, I know best. Did you ever experience that yourself where there was this feeling of, I'm going to have to let go of this thing. And I'm worried about quality dropping, or did you put processes in place that meant that that didn't happen?
1: Yeah. That, this is fear. I think any business owner is going to go through. I mean, you don't want to sacrifice the quality because that's that quality is ideally what got you to place in success in the first place. So I I don't sacrifice any quality, but I put very strategic systems in place that the employees know exactly what the expectation is and they never drop below that. Like we'll always over deliver instead of under deliver. And if you have the right systems in place, you have the right criteria in the makeup, then if they're trained properly, you don't have to worry about that. Like, especially if your oversight is such that you know that they're not cutting corners. If you have good employees too, like now that I have employees, you know, hiring and firing people is one of the biggest headaches in business, for sure. If you have a physical product
0: business, but having the right people makes all the difference in the world. 100%. I've started going down the track of, of hire fast and fire fast in terms of you can never know really if someone's going to be good until they're there because mm-hmm. a CV, and interview is always the best version of a person. CV becomes yeah. almost irrelevant. You could say whatever the hell you wanted on the CV, right? Yeah, um, totally. Checking reference is important, but still culture fit, I think is key. Are they a person that feels like they could fit in with a minimum, you know, minimum standard of, of skill? But do they fit in? And then mm-hmm. being okay with hiring that person and then also letting them go. I think that most of us get hooked into like, I'm going to hire them and that's it forever. So I've got to make it the right decision. But ironically, that's what holds everyone back in anything that they do, is by trying to make it perfect from the start. Dude, you your podcast, like you said, you were in a cupboard with a beach yeah. towel. You yep. didn't make this setup with the soundboards and the, you know, the mic and the things like that. Because had you had done that, you would have been slow to implement. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't have had the feel. And you wouldn't have had the early adopters who loved you for being in the closet with the beach towel. You know what I mean, which is now a primary viewership. And it would have been like everyone else. That's
1: a very important point. We can embellish on that further. But so many people look at other people that are seeing success in business, whatever industry that is, and they try and emulate that exactly. But when you do that, there's always going to be something that can come in and beat you on price. There's always going to be something that can undercut you. There's always going to be a competitor that has an advantage over you. If you build your business and your livelihood around your story, nobody can take your story from you. So by default, that's automatic security. In that, most people are just too afraid to put their story out there because they lack confidence, they lack self-awareness, or they, they're just not okay with who they are at the core. But if you know who you are at the core and you're totally okay with it and upfront with it, and you don't ever have to wear a mask. And if you're not wearing a mask, then your business is going to be a definition of who you are at the core, and nobody can
0: steal that from you. Said so many good points. Let's break it down a bit. When you've got a core story, you've got a competitive advantage because no one can have your story. And so therefore, mm-hmm. it doesn't become about your price or even, you know, I dare say, product quality to us to an extent, because someone can come along and say, "Well, my product has this and this and this in it," right? The features. A lot of people try and compete on on features. They commoditize themselves. It's like I'm gonna not only am I going to massage your back, I'm also going to come and look after your kids and paint your fence and do your dishes and spend six hours at your house. like it gets silly because they're trying to stack on all this extra crap to try and make the product more filled out. But it's not the features that people are buying. They're buying the story and how they feel. Apple's an example of this, right? They've only just released 5G in their phones or whatever. Other brands have had it. Now they're saying, now we've got this. And or they'll say, our screens are now this much resolution. Other companies have already had the features. But the Apple purchaser is purchasing because of the brand story and how they feel about it. And that's very clear. And we need to leverage our own story because that's who we are. Because like you said, with the mask, right? If you're more authentic, it's easy to maintain. It's easy to get up in the morning and just be you than it is to go, okay, I've got to be this person. So I'm gonna do my hair a certain way and put my suit on, and have this and have everything. And then it's like, and you get tired because it's not who you are and you burn out. And so it's hard to push when it's not you being you. And I think people forget that because they'll, they'll look at, for example, they'll look at your setup or uh, your setup's way better than mine, but your setup or my setup. And they'll be like, well, I got to get that mic. That's why it's good. I got to mm-hmm. get those headphones. Got to get this, got to get that. It's like, no, you don't need any of that stuff. You need to have something that resonates with people. And if you've got that and you just speak genuinely and you focus on the early adopters, because people who are listening to a well-produced show, for example, if, if you're thinking of, someone's thinking you're starting a podcast and you're comparing yourself to the top of the market, people have watched them for a long time and got there. It's not because of their banner and their microphone that they're successful. It's everything else. They've just upgraded over time for things that matter now, but didn't matter then. Audio quality, might yep. matter now because you can. Didn't matter then. It's your story that mattered. I love that.
1: One thing that that's helped me a lot before I ever even really got into producing content is I would look at people who I really looked up to and admire, like the Joe Rogans of the podcast world, some of the biggest YouTubers. And I would go back to their... Early, early episodes like the first five episodes, and I'd watch those. And without fail, if they've left them public, they're they're horrendous compared to their current episodes. But if you can see those initial episodes and compare it to where they're at now, it's just much more motivating and inspirational as to what you're able to do with your own skills and talent. If you if your story is good, if your story is true, and if you're authentic and putting it out there for the public,
0: yeah, hundred percent. So let's talk about that then. What um in terms of your story? what aspects do you think are important to emphasize to make it a good story because of course we all we all have a story and some of us feel like our story is not particularly exciting or doesn't have you know these amazing things that happen how do we take our story if we feel it's vanilla and share it in a way that connects us with people in some way i feel like
1: people resonate with other people much more than than one would think i mean when i look at my life there's nothing in particular that is just has a wow factor you know at first glance especially but when you dig into the nuance to it i'm a real human everyone's a real human everyone's got their own ups and downs and if you showcase the ups and the downs instead of just the highlights you're going to have a lot more buy-in from the people that you're presenting to um so like me for instance you know when i started the business i was quarter million dollars in debt depressed didn't have a clue what i was going to do with my life wound up marrying my girlfriend, wife, and I, we built this business together. We built it out of our apartments that we were too broke to have. This setup that you've commented on, this this podcast studio, this is our in our warehouse. I live in the office right across the door. Like we live in a warehouse right now because we don't have a house because of putting all of our time and effort and energy into the business. And we just, we just love it. And if you showcase the ups and the downs, if you showcase the times where you're in debt, the times where you're seeing success, the times where you're seeing and experiencing failure. People can resonate with that because everyone experiences some degree of success and failure in life. And if you can transpose it into a business aspect, then then people realize that, hey, you know, this is just life in general. It's not like you have a work-life balance. I don't believe in balance. I think balance is bullshit. You have a work-life circle. You have everything should be symbiotic in nature. That way, if you're working towards any one thing, it's improving the whole.
0: Yeah, I agree. People... Often say to me, James, you know, you 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 work too hard or you're you're not focusing on this or you need to relax or you need to blah blah blah. And I'm like, you just don't get it. You think that I'm working right now. I'm playing. You play video games. I make sales funnels and podcast episodes and, you know, all of that kind of crap because I love it. And that's where people get confused, is that you might not like what you're doing, or that person who's judging you might not like what they're doing. But that doesn't mean that you then have to change what you're doing if you're obsessed with it and passionate about it. Some people obsess with the gym. Some people obsess with mountain biking. Some people obsess with reading. I obsess with building businesses uh, and that's okay. And I think that, like I said, there is no balance. There's just finding what works for you and enjoying it. People who say you need balance are the ones who I think, a bit of a judgment, but I think are not really enjoying what they're doing and they don't feel fulfillment from it. And therefore they think that you need to have some kind of balance between the good and the bad. But it can all be good, you know what I mean. It can all be good. And you can enjoy all of it. Yeah,
1: I could not agree more. And it may be a bit of a judgment, but I think more people would benefit if they heard that message because I think it all stems back to to self awareness. Like if you know who you are and if you know what you want out of life, then you don't have to apologize for the things that you're doing. And if you're finding satisfaction in those things, even if you're not making a ton of money doing it, like you don't, I don't, I don't measure success by money alone. But if you're benefiting you know, overall humanity, your fellow neighbor, yourself, and you're enjoying it and having fun in life and you're waking up excited every single day, then you're doing something right. And I think anybody should aspire for that. You know, I don't think you have to go through a balance in life to find that. Uh, My life is incredibly unbalanced when, (laughs) if you were to compare it to someone who has a balanced work life, but I wouldn't change anything about it. I I love every single hour of my day from the moment I wake up at three o'clock in the morning to the moment I go to sleep. Like I'm loving every single bit of it and I wouldn't change a thing.
0: Definitely. Let's get tactical a bit here. What are you, what are you doing at the moment to get your brand message out there? And are you having one brand message with options for how people can interact with you through, for example, the coaching or the product, or are you doing them all in different channels, different silos? They they're kind of all different silos,
1: but they all blend together. Like if, if somebody's purchasing keto brick, generally they know about keto savage and it all kind of melds together as one. Like my wife, Crystal, she has lady savage. Keto Brick is our ketogenic milk placement bar. Keto Savage is my nutrition and coaching. Keto Contest Prep is a website and in, in course that I'm building out and writing a book for at the moment. Uh, so I've got all these different silos, but they all kind of talk with one another and, and move people in the right direction. So mm. currently I'm, I'm revamping a couple of my different websites. I'm writing the book and I'm working on the Keto Contest Prep course, which is going to be a very niche specific towards competitive uh, athletes. So I'm basically just kind of doubling down on the things that I'm Personally, I'm very capable in like within the ketogenic space and the the low carb space. There's not a whole lot of low carb ketogenic natural bodybuilders. I'm pretty much the only one that I'm aware of. So I'm doubling down that niche because there's a lot of interest around that niche. And I feel like if you go ultra niche, that's a huge asset because so many people try to appeal to so many different industries, so many Mm. different spectrums. And when you go so broad, you can't really go deep. And I'd always put more emphasis on going deep
0: than going wide. Deep is where the impact is right? Where you're really making either a change in people's lives at a meaningful level or getting, well, basically the same thing, right? Or getting insane results for them deeper than anyone else means that people share it. There is a lot of stuff that you can get surface results on and people might go, oh, I saw this video. Oh, this is all right. But there isn't this feeling of inherently wanting to share it. You want to share something where you get a massive change. You're wanting to share your message because you've got a huge change from what you're doing. And you're an example, of right? Self-example self, self example of that. And I think that that's important because if you're not deep, you're not polarizing. And if you're not polarizing, you're vanilla. And if you're vanilla, no one cares. Yeah, And ultimately, no. we're in the business of moving people, right? We have to get people to do stuff. Stuff that they wouldn't otherwise do inherently themselves because if they would, they'd already be experiencing the results. That's what sales is to me. is helping a person take an action to get an outcome that they want, but otherwise wouldn't inherently do it without my message pushing them to do it. And good marketing and sales does that for people and creates benefit in their lives. And going deep is a huge part of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's
1: all about human interaction and going deep and the experience that that lies therein. I mean, we've just invested in a, a new compound, a new warehouse that's twice as big as our current setup here and we're getting it totally revamped. But I'm going to have the updated podcasting studio, a gym, uh, the, the new kitchen, everything in there. But I'm going to fly people out. Like all my podcast guests, I'm going to fly them out. I'm going to train with them. I'm going to do whatever, it's just gonna be an experience because when you're able to go super deep like that and offer something that nobody else has taken the time and energy and effort to offer, your ability to make an impact is just amplified tenfold. And the more and deeper impact you can make, the more job security you're given for yourself and the more aggressive you're gonna be able to build that company
0: because it's built on a better foundation. I think that when, no matter what happens, you know, whether there's political unrest or economic unrest or you know, industry shifts, I think that when you've got relationships with people, you could pivot one day from keto to something, probably completely the opposite and your followers will follow because there's relationships there. The people in your network will follow because there's relationships. And I think people forget that, that this idea of it's who you know is, is kind of true, but it's more than that. It's not who you know, and therefore you have an advantage. It's, it's who you interact with and have those conversations, build those relationships with because people help us to go places. You can't go alone. That's where we're tribal by nature. Because we understood that survival comes from that. And, you know, your family unit is a tribe. Your business team is a tribe. Your community, your marketing is a tribe. And we need to have strength in those relationships because then no matter what happens, we still have that because people need leaders. People need followers need to follow someone. And I think most of us at heart are followers to some degree in different areas. I'm a leader in one area and I'm a follower in another, and I'm looking for people to follow. And so if in your business, especially when we're helping people to get outcomes in their lives, we need to be strong leaders and build those networks because then no matter what happens, it's not built on a house of cards just because of some gimmick or some mask that we put on. It's built on real relationships. And real
1: relationships can go so much deeper than just how how many followers someone has on a social platform. Treating everyone as if there's something that you can truly and deeply learn from them is, is so key. There, there's been so many instances and interactions that I've had in the past few years where I've given somebody the time of the day that it didn't really make sense at first glance to give them as much time I'd poured into them. But then way after the fact, it, it paid itself tenfold. And I think if every interaction you make is is brought to the table with that type of genuine authenticity, you're, you're going to be way better
0: for it. And your, your ability to make an impact and to receive an impact is going to be amplified. I like that you said receive an impact because a lot of us, like I'm going to invest in you because I might get something now or it's like, oh, no, I don't do that. I don't, I don't invest in people to get things out of them but I'm kind of secretly hoping I'll get something out of them 10 years later at least. So it justifies Mm -hmm. it. But I think it's the wrong way to look at it. It's not just what you're going to get out of that person, that interaction. It's what you're then able to receive because you're in the mindset of giving for giving sake and being supportive to people and listening to them. That means that you're then better able to build other relationships. So just because arbitrarily I, I give with you and I give you the time of day when maybe I shouldn't, like you said, in your example, it's not about that interaction necessarily. It's about the other interactions that can come because I have that that state and that purpose to give in those instances. I think that's what people miss as well because positivity breeds positivity. And when you're surrounded by positive people and you're just inherently positive without asking for stuff, people want to then give, but you're not doing it to get them to give because that's not authentic. And this is the this is the interesting part that I think few people have really cracked. And I think that you're one of them who has. It's like you understand that it creates outcomes for you, but that's not the intention. Yeah, I'm doing it anyway.
1: Yeah. How you do one thing is how you do everything. And I feel like if you approach everybody with that outlook and that mindset, it all comes back to you and you don't do it, like you said, to expect that in the first place. You just do it because that's who you are at the, at your core.
0: And in doing that, it, it makes it worth your while, 100%. Yeah, 100%. So are you focusing a lot at the moment on the podcast as being a primary driver of ears and eyeballs to what you do or do you have uh, other things that you're doing as well?
1: Yeah, the podcast is my biggest platform for sure. Instagram is a big one. I have a newsletter that's also pretty successful. I've got several different mediums. I actually just had my Instagram account randomly disabled. I had like 40,000 followers on it and just totally gone with the blink of an eye of that warning, you know, after two weeks of waiting, I'm like, well, I'm just going to make a new one and start back from the ground zero. And then shortly after I built the new one, it got reinstated. So that kind of brought back to the front of my mind and attention that you don't want to put all your eggs in any one social platform. Mm -hmm. Ideally, having macro content, like on your own website, your own podcast that you've hosted and paid for yourself. So it's secure. And then just simply using social outlets as a way to distribute that micro content is key. I feel like so many people, um, and i've been guilty of this they put all of their emphasis on one platform that they don't own and then there's just so much uncertainty there so i would caution anybody listening to this to double down on their own hub like their own website their own platform and then just simply use social as a way to to distribute micro content pieces that drive people back to that macro
0: hub yeah give the audience a bit of a breakdown on what you mean by macro and micro content
1: yeah so for instance let's say i was to write a really in-depth blog post about the ketogenic diet on my website i can take that blog post and then break it up into several different pieces of micro content maybe subheadings and then distribute those via instagram facebook something of that nature but if somebody wants to get the full picture they're going to need to go to the actual website that way you're driving people to your actual platform instead of just the social platforms that that's you know
0: honestly you don't have full control over you're also conditioning people that when to get the information they need to go to the source which is your site rather than conditioning them that they can go to your social to get it which i think is super important and it's a great perspective and something that based on what you've said my mind's now running a million miles an hour about how i can implement more of that into mine because you're right when you look at social your social is is the peephole right it's like but that can get closed up real fast because you don't own it so Mm -hmm. yes you should go all into social Build audiences and have interactions, but just understand that you don't have control and be okay with that game because you have to be there. You have to do it, but you can't rely solely on that, right? You have to also be directing people back to a platform that you control, like your website, where they get used to that interaction. And then getting them off of social is important too, getting them into email lists, things like that. I do things, for example, even if you're not running Google ads or you're not running Facebook ads, you set up pixels. Uh, this is going a bit techy here. But You set up a pixel to tag everyone who is interacting with your content so that if you in the future do decide to go into that platform, you now have an audience in place. Whereas a lot of us, we go, great, I'm going to do some Facebook ads. And it's like, wow, crap, you should have been tagging everyone for the last five years and you would have had a massive list of people that you could run ads to straight away and have huge success, but you didn't plan ahead. So it's like, having these things in place on your platform so that when they're coming back, you're getting them into your email list, you're tagging them for the various different like Google platform and Facebook, et cetera. And then the peephole is your social media that brings them through the micro content being the small stuff into the big stuff where they can actually properly chew on some some things and have some interactions that are meaningful. I think that's super important.
1: What's interesting is, you know, setting up an an email newsletter list, setting up the the pixels setting all that up it does involve a few hoops you have to jump through. there's a few barriers to entry it's not that hard in the grand scheme of life and when you look at how businesses are run 50 years ago I mean we've got it pretty easy right now but social media Instagram Facebook YouTube the barrier to entry to to creating an account and posting content on that is much 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 smaller so people oftentimes don't take the time they'll they'll realize they need to build a website but they won't look into how do I open up a WordPress account and, and dive into that there's so many things that they don't take the time to do because there are some barriers to entry but at the end of the day, that just weeds out a lot of your competition. So if you're the one that, that decides to dig deeper in that and put in the work, you're able to make an impact and create a much firmer foundation and not a house of cards is amplified.
0: 100%. We do forget that business is way easier than it ever has been. And because we don't realize or we forget it, it means that we don't understand the opportunity that we have that you can literally just start a business and start an Instagram page and start making money or get reach people. And that we then take it for granted. Like the number of people who who bitch and moan to me about their Facebook ads or whatever. And I'm like, dude, the fact that you can even launch a Facebook ad and then tomorrow start getting some clients and then bring them into your world. And like, do you understand how powerful that is? Normally you would have to go out and you would have to drop flyers and get people to have some interest and then come get them into a room and then have a presentation. There might be 30 people there and you had to pay for all this stuff. And you're worrying and bitching that you're spending 15 bucks a day on Facebook ads for a week and you only got one client out of it. Like mm. understanding things I think is, and having perspective is key because what's going to happen and, and people don't get this. Social's going away. The big companies are not really playing yet. They're dabbling when all the big brands jump into the space and they have the podcasts and they have the social media, like the Instagrams and the Facebooks and they're running the ads properly. And they're doing that thing and they're creating the micro content. They've got so much money and creative backing that it's going to be very hard for the little guy to have a shot. And you're really going to have to stand out. If you think there's a lot of competition now and it's, it's hard, this is easy days five years from now. It's going to, you're gonna look back and you're gonna think, man, shoulda, coulda, woulda. It's like thinking, you know, when great great grandparents didn't buy in downtown Manhattan or something like that, a block. Looking back, going, shoulda done it. It's like, yeah, yeah, you shoulda done it. And I think this is the time that we all need to just start getting our message and getting our story out there, in some form. Don't don't worry if you're in a closet with a beach towel, because yeah. just get the message out so that it's the seeds planted. Because then, like people like us, we're gonna be okay. It'll be harder when the bigger brands come in, but we're established to a degree. Mm -hmm. People know about us already. It's when you're thinking about doing it now that I implore people to start now and be consistent and understand what you're actually doing. What you're actually doing is you're building relationships. You're connecting with people. You don't need followers. You need customers, right? People who are actually interested in having an exchange with you. It doesn't matter if you have 100,000 people following you or 1,000. If you've got 1,000 and they're a core customer who loves what you do, that's more powerful than having 100,000 randoms living on the other side of the world who are never going to buy your services. Absolutely um, so people, people get it wrong, definitely.
1: Out of curiosity, what what do you think is going is going to happen when the big companies take over? I mean, organic reach currently is, is way way down from what it was, you know, at the beginning stages of the social media. So in 5 years from now when the big when the big boys are playing they have all the ad money and spending, what do you think the normal day-to-day person that's not nearly as established is going to benefit most? And do you think it's going to return more to just this underlying innate connection like face-to-face or what, where do you think things are
0: going to travel? I think that big brands are going to understand micro content better. And they're going to be able to have teams of people creating stuff to create a story and a personal interaction with their brand that they're not doing as well right now. That means that you're not going to connect with, with Apple. You're going to connect with the influencer who's part of Apple, like, for example, Apple might sponsor a, an influencer to share some stuff about Apple, right? But it's going to be like that, but it'll be a bit more in-house, I think. And there's going to be a lot more of this understanding of the micro content to start these interactions with people at a real personal level. And so I think then when we're coming into the market to try and compete with that, we're going to be doing very similar things. But remembering, of course, that they have hundreds of millions of dollars that they can dump behind this stuff and not care. Like Coca-Cola will buy billboards with no measurable return. You can't know whether a billboard made you money. Like, is everyone going to bring out their phones to capture the little thing and be like, oh, this is where I came from and I bought my Coca-Cola in the shop the other day. Or like, you know what I mean? Like you're putting out a product and then you're, and you're putting out marketing and you're just measuring, well, we marketed and, you know, we made some money. But that's what these bigger brands are doing. It's not as granular tracking. So when they understand mm-hmm. that, I, hey, I can do granular tracking with Facebook and social media and I can actually see what's actually happening and they can put their money behind it. And they're still willing to just spend money. It's gonna make it very hard because that it's gonna become pay to play. Like it's already kind of pay to play with organic mm-hmm. reach being so low and the new platforms will be helpful to people. I watch a lot of Gary V and listen to what he's talking about because he's, he's right on the money. And And he says that like, when you're a newer player, you need to look at, you need to be in these other platforms, but you need to look at what are the new things coming up to build influence in the early adopters who are not looking for the big brands. And so I think like Facebook will only be pay to play. Instagram will only when, be paid to play. And you have a TikTok financing, right? No, no, I don't. I'm actually <laughs> bad. Take my own advice. I don't have TikTok. Uh, I'm right there with you. And I think that the reason why I haven't and why I should, like Gary said, get into TikTok like ages ago, a year ago, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh yeah. And then, of course, <laughs> I've got chiropractors now who've got like 200,000 followers on TikTok and they're getting clients every day from it. And so it's one of those things. But I think that if I was starting again or if I was really wanting to dive into. The culture of it, I would be getting on all these smaller platforms and creating relevant content for those platforms to see where I could find an audience, right? Because I have an audience, I've gotten lazier. And you inherently always do, because it's yeah. like, well, I can just spend money because I know my numbers. And so I can spend money to make money. But I think for everyone listening to this, you want to get to that point, but you also need to keep your ear to the ground and listen to what people are doing and what they're interacting with and understand that the kids will find it first. TikTok was about dancing preteens. Now it's more evolved and will continue to evolve. Instagram used to be like that. Facebook used to be for the young people, as they say.
1: It's hard to scale the social platforms because when you, when you think about it, you you want to be very authentic and you want social to be a way for you to put yourself personally out there to your audience. And if you're doing that and actually interacting, you know, answering back in the DMs and just truly engaging on those platforms to, to continually add more and more platforms to that list. I mean, that, that becomes a scalable nightmare.
0: Mm. I think that um, you want to pick one that you're having traction on and you double mm-hmm. down, then you develop a team to help you with the rest. And then you focus yeah. like Gary posts his content and he interacts with people, but he's not interacting with every single person he would have at the start, but just from sheer scalability, he would spend 24 hours a day doing that because of the size of his audience. So mm-hmm. I think that you pick a time. It's like for half an hour in the morning when you're sitting on the toilet, having a shower or whatever, you got your phone and you're just responding to the first five people you see. Yeah. And then at lunchtime, you respond to five people that you see. And that creates enough engagement that people know you're real, feel you're real and connect with you. But not having to do it to everyone because it doesn't make sense, but understanding that you have to do it because if you don't, like at the end of the day, the world's changing and you can either, like the example I gave to someone the other day is that there's somebody when cars came around who owned a shitload of horses, who was super sad that yeah. they didn't invest in cars. And I think that you can cry about it all you want, but it's changing. So stop buying horses because no one wants them anymore. They're just like a recreational thing now. Get into yeah. vehicles in this analogy. And I think that social is beyond, like people used to argue whether Facebook was, you know, Facebook's a fad. People used to argue that the internet was a fad. It's ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? We well, well, need v- to pivot. Gary V said something very, very profound about that. It's like, even if
1: it is a fat, even if it goes out, if you're able to get some initial traction on it and get your name out there, get your face out there to the people that are on that platform and see you, they'll pivot and they'll, they'll move with you. And that alone is worth you taking the time and effort to build that foundation in the
0: first place. There are kids, do you move a vine, which was like, those? I never had a vine, but yeah, I definitely remember vine. There are kids, I say kids understanding how ironic that is because I'm relatively young looking, but there are kids that are now having their own movies on Netflix and making millions of dollars in a huge from Vine. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. What are those brothers? Oh, Jake Paul and is it Jake and Ryan Paul? I think it is. Uh, they're making millions and millions of dollars. They're doing movies. They've got media companies. They're massive influencers and they started making stupid videos on Vine. And they found a niche in an audience and people followed them. And now they've got, you go look them up on YouTube. They'll have millions of followers in all their platforms. And so Gary's right. It's like, it doesn't matter if it's a fad, you get in there because TikTok, I think you got TikTok ads now. Right? Right. Whereas before TikTok was just a platform. And so reach was mental. You got crazy organic reach. Now that they're doing ads, you're going to see organic reach start to drop Mm -hmm. because they make money for you paying for reach. So automatically you have to really stand out if you want to get organic reach and then eventually it'll go away like Facebook. And I think and that it, people don't understand that.
1: That's the beauty of business though. It's all chess, you know, it's all, it's yeah. all my like figuring out what is going to bring you the most momentum and then be, become the most sustainable and enjoyable. Like you have to enjoy what you're doing to some extent that you're going to burn out. But when you, when you look at it to the lens of, this is all just tactical and strategic moves that can better your business and your future. It all becomes part of the chess game, and it's all just—I
0: love it. I love it. It's it's, those of us who win are the ones who are obsessed and have full immersion in what we're doing. You can't Mm. be Kobe Bryant without being ridiculously obsessed with basketball, yep, and being an athlete. You can't be Bezos without being ridiculous. It can't be a part-time thing and you would prefer to watch Netflix and I don't want to be on social media. Like you can't do that if you really want to be somebody that influences a lot of people and helps a lot of people. I think that no matter what level you want to play at, there needs to be an obsession and there needs to be a full immersion in everything. And if you're not passionate every single day about getting your message out there, you need to figure that out, man. Like if you don't, If you don't wake up loving what you're doing, you need to change because you're only going to burn out. It's never going to work. And then you're always going to struggle. And then you're going to have resentment for, well, I didn't get into social media. I didn't do this. And oh, this is not working. And it's easy for you to say this and blah, blah, blah. That conversation always happens from someone who doesn't have passion in what they're doing because they're not looking at how do I solve problems and produce outcomes. They're looking at how do I get a shortcut? Mm -hmm. Because I don't care to figure it out and do the work because I'm passionate about it. I just want to have the money at the end. Yeah, and the cool thing about business is that
1: it's yours. You can do with it as you choose and as you wish, and you're able to to mold it into something that that fills your cup. So, like I I doubled down on keto, and that I went ultra niche with keto, especially natural bodybuilding in keto. And so I gained some momentum, and now I've started to to expand that demographic a bit. And we're building out Live Savage, which is much more all encompassing than just keto alone. I mean, I'm a I'm an avid hunter. I love hunting. Hunting is going to be part of the Live Savage brand. So rather than having to go hunting and feeling like it's a distraction from my business endeavors, I've built a business around my passion for hunting and it all becomes symbiotic in nature. I feel like once you recognize that you have the ability to do that in
0: business, there's no reason why you wouldn't love every aspect of it. Yeah, 100%. Dude, I think I could go on for hours with you. I'm super conscious of your time. Where's the place that people can connect with you online?
1: Keto Savage and uh, Live Savage now that my new Instagram is Live Savage. But yeah, either those two and you'll,
0: you'll find me. Amazing. I'll make sure that's in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Awesome episode. Really appreciate you. And um, you have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you. I appreciate the time and take care. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to the show. If you like the episode, please hit subscribe and leave us a review. I'd really appreciate it as it helps us get our episodes out to more people just like you who want to know how to increase their revenue, impact more people and build businesses that work for the lifestyle they want. Now, I know your time is valuable, and I know that you are here to learn the secrets to success in your health business. So I have something special for you just for checking out the episode. Now, if you're a health professional, coach, or trainer in business, and you're serious about growing a profitable, impactful business, then pay attention. Because as a listener of the show, I want you to win. And so I've created a host of resources available exclusively for listeners of the show. So if you're tired of trying to figure out this game of business, marketing, and sales all on your own, and you're ready to just implement what's already proven to work rather than reinventing the wheel, I want you right now to go and check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. That's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. And there you'll find over $5,000 worth of trainings, resources, and coaching available only for listeners of the show. Again, that's healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider. There I'll give you resources on everything from how to acquire 10 times more of your ideal clients using social media and paid ads, even referrals, how to increase your client conversion into packages at an 80 to 90% conversion rate like me, how to retain your clients for longer, getting them better results and making them happier, how to increase your prices and charge a premium to work with you and how you can build a six, multi six, even seven figure practice just like I did but with a 10th of the time and a 10th of the effort. What I want you to realize is that everything I teach comes from exactly what I did to have success and still have success in my own health business. And I wanna share that with you so you can have success too. So go check out healthcarebusinesssecrets.com forward slash insider right now and let me help you win big in your health business. Also remember to subscribe for two episodes every week, full of the secrets to have success in your health business as well as leave us a review so we know what you thought of the show. And I'll see you on the next episode.